<laughs> and I have seen him get out of some real jams when he speaks his mind and everything gets real tight. But in the end, he'll go, well, 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 well I tell you what. He said, I believe in, uh, I believe in motherhood and apple pie and chivalets. <laughs> Praise God. And Brother Holly is another man. To know him, you love him. And I've got better acquainted with him in the last little while. And I understand him better. And I, I love this man. This man is a man of righteousness and truth. Some would like to make a hard, harsh man out of him. He's not. You're going you're gonna to feel the love of God coming out of him. But he's not afraid to say what needs to be said. And he's not afraid to back up what needs to be backed up. Praise God. Elder E.L. Holly, God bless this man. Thank you, Brother Morton. Turn with me, if you will, in your hearts and your Bibles to Acts, the second chapter. I'd like to read verse 42. And then wander around a little bit. And then try to preach. Teach. Or as Brother Tenney puts it, preach maybe. Acts 2.42 And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. May the good Lord bless the reading of his word to your hearts. Please be seated. They continued. what I'm hearing and what I'm feeling in my soul it's quite apparent that we're continuing and that continuation is an endurance that the Lord spoke of when he spoke of those who would be saved he said he that endureth to the end not as though he tolerated something that was miserable, but he began a chosen course and he continued. And the fellow that continues to the end of the course, and he alone shall be saved. You know, if there ever were a time when we need what we're doing here in this PSR convention, it's now. Because the things that we have begun are under attack in some of the most subtle ways and we if we're not reminded we could allow a little bit of fabric a little strand of the fabric of truth to turn loose and the more frayed you get around the edges with a fabric of truth the more danger you have of losing the entire pattern of the material each little strand and each little strand of itself may not be so important but as each little strand comes apart 
next thing you know, instead of a piece of material with a discernible pattern, you just got a pile of little things that doesn't much matter. I was reading yesterday about a fellow by the name of Shama who was making a mad dash for his life because the Israelites had raised a crop and the Philistines were coming down to, to get it and they were afraid and they ran and they gave up the ground and the crop and Shammah got to a field of uh, lentils a hill of Kentucky wonders And he might have talked with himself a little bit. This is the third chapter of Holly's Imagination now. He might have talked with himself a little bit. Somewhere we're going to have to stop. Come on now. Oh, come on. And why wait till I get to the city limits and everything's in danger? It's time for me to up and draw a line and he did and I'm certain that the same devil that you deal with was on his shoulder saying now look at you you're a you're a real sharp one aren't you you're 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 standing here fighting over a hill of beans come on now you've heard the expression it doesn't mean a hill of beans what difference does it make? What difference does it make? Man, you'd fuss over, what are you, an issue-oriented person? Haven't you got a bigger pattern in mind than that, this, 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 this? But he took a hold of his sword and he said, here's where I fight. I'm not giving up another inch. Another inch. There's not another strand coming off the fabric. And I'm saying that we're living in an hour somewhat like that. And we find ourselves on little places that could well be called a bean patch. Hill of beans somewhere. And there's always that argument. Why fuss over this? I mean, this is such a small thing. And a few years ago it occurred to me when I was talking with a fellow about one of those small things. I said to him, if it is indeed so small, why don't you just do it? But there are those that will debate, procrastinate, hesitate, argue, drag their feet, do anything that they can to keep from yielding to some of those small things. And it's in the small things where things count real big real big I read where the church began and up to that point said they continued then there's a lot of writing in the epistles of things that occurred and in each incident the same principle that put the church on the move had to re-emerge again and again because had they stopped 
then it would have all been over. And the devil forever wants to get us to stop and say, well, uh, maybe it is such a small thing that I ought not be disturbed over it. Jude warned that certain men had crept in unawares. And he's talking about in the church. And I don't, I'm not uh, anxious to uh, be a calamity howler. I'd, uh, I'd like to say that that's not quite possible. But the book says it. I've seen it with my own eyes uh, in not just uh, the written word, but uh, the practice incarnate. Ungodly men who feel ordained to certain things. And it becomes imperative. Somebody said, well, now, you, if you're not careful, you'll kill faith. I maintain that there's a way to preach faith that does, in fact, kill faith. But in order to appreciate the genuine and the real, the knowledge of the counterfeit the sham, the Barnum and Bailey stuff is equally necessary. It's as necessary as preaching the truth. Because it is the truth that there's error. Paul said that there were those that trouble you. We have it written that there are teachers, Peter put it, false teachers, even as there were false uh, prophets. There should be false teachers, and he said, among you. This is not designed and structured, and the, and the book's full of it, but it's not structured to cause me to sit in the corner and start chewing my nails. Say, oh my God. I can't believe anybody. Come on. That's an insult to the deity. He gave you elders. One of them said, you have no need that any man teach you. It's in the book. Come on. And um, someone said, well, now, what do you, are you a man? Are you teaching? Oh, if there's no need, what are you doing up there? The, dis the difference lies in the source. You have no need that man and his teaching originating with him, just humanistic teaching, you have no need for that at all. You have an anointing. But you need the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the true Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, teaching you through the instrumentality that God places in the church in the ministry. And these who come along, and I so appreciate both messages that I've heard this morning. In fact, I was showing Brother Travis who sat alongside me uh, how well they were covering my text. And uh, 
I don't know if you'd have need of me reiterating almost word for word some of these things, but um, God, in his own way, is making us aware of the fact that to continue, we're going to have to take a firm grip on the instrumentality of what the Spirit has put in the church and reject anything that's apart from that. In order to continue, there's, there's at least two things here, and of course I recognize that I'm touching two out of many, but there's two traps that we do need to avoid. The first one that I'd like to think with you the next few minutes about is a wrong influence. Leadership in the church is not the same leadership that exists in the military. It's a matter of influence. Someone influences you. And it's imperative that you take care that you're not influenced wrongly by the wrong person or group of persons. It's a noble thing to search the scriptures to determine whether things are so or not. It's not skepticism. It's a healthy faith that looks to the book to see whether or not things are in line with that. Turn with me, if you will, to Third John. I'd like to introduce to you four people. Number one, the elder, John, who wrote the letter. It's a very brief letter. Number two, Gaius, who was a pastor. Number three, Diotrephes, who was also a pastor. Number four, Demetrius another pastor and I'm talking about influence John wrote and I like the way he approached it he said the elder under the well-beloved Gaius whom I love in truth he had a great respect for Gaius In verse 2 he said, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prosper. And that's a pretty good balance wheel. When you get more possessions that are without than you have within, then it's in danger of possessing you rather than you possessing it. And if there's the balance there, the God of heaven knows what he can trust us with. And if there's a balance there of the soul and the outer, then it's a safe thing. But he went further with this. He said, I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. 
even as thou walkest in the truth. Now, a little background here. Uh, it's apparent that some missionaries had gone down in, into that particular area where Gaius was, and uh, they had gone with John's blessings. And uh, John had um, uh, opened the door for them, as it were, to go into the, to the churches. And this principle holds true whether it's dealing with missionaries or anything else. When he wrote to Gaius, he, he gave him all the credit to which he was due. And then as he went on down the line, he said, these brethren have come back and they borne witness of your charity before the church and said you're doing a great work in so many words and he said because that in verse 7 because that for his name's sake they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles we therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers of the truth now he said you're doing well you took care of them you're charitable and and uh, it should it showed and you they came back telling about it then he said I wrote to the church at large but Diotrephes who loveth to have the preeminence among them receiveth us not First of all, let me take a moment with Diotrephes. He had to be a pastor. I don't care what any commentary says about it. I'm telling you, it's a New Testament church. And uh, he had to be a pastor because later we're told that he was even putting some people out of the church. And in the New Testament church, the only one that has that authority is a pastor. They didn't, uh, they weren't bothered at that point with uh, 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 board runs churches. And that wasn't, that, that, that might have come some later it had to deal with, but that was in the inception of it, and that wasn't the problem. And, but this man not only uh, uh, desired the preeminence but, uh, and received, uh, John said, receiveth us not. He said, wherefore, when I, if I come, I'll remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would and casteth them out of the church. Then he stopped and said, Beloved, follow not that which is evil but that which is good he that doeth good is of God but he that doeth evil hath not seen God now the scenario widens just a little bit here and, and if you'll permit me the liberty of just being uh, my hill country self I'll try my very best to communicate what God has, has uh, uh, so saturated my soul with in this particular instance he wrote to Gaius. He said, now, I love you. You're a good old boy. You're all right. You got it all together and you know where you put it. You're handling things right. And you're all right. But, he said, Diotrephes, your neighbor down there, He kind of likes to be the top dog. In fact, he's got it so arranged that if he can't be the cock of the walk, he's willing to tear the walk up. He loves to have the preeminence. He is the very reverend Monsignor. 
diatrophies. Now, diatrophies is dead and in his grave, but that spirit's not. Said he receiveth us not. And when I come, I'll, I'll take care of you. He, he's prating against us with malicious words. He's walking around, as it were, among the brethren. Who does John think he is? He sent these Jake Leg preachers down here, and I, I, I haven't, I haven't examined a solitary one of them. I'm the, I'm the bishop of this flock. I run the place. You know another thing about John, he did on top of that. Malicious words. He said, when I come, I'll take care of that on him. But I'm concerned right now, guess, about you. If you're not careful, he'll influence you. Beloved, follow not. And that word follow comes from the little Greek word that we get the word imitate from. Don't take up his habits. Don't take up his manner. There, ha there has to be a submission. I'm not saying that submission is always an easy thing. Preachers are hard-headed people, you know that? They've got to be to be a preacher. Sure. They gotta have a hard head and a soft heart. And if they get that inverted, and there's some saints that are kind of like that, you know. But the submission is a beautiful thing in the eyes of God because it's saying, not my will. Said, but I don't understand it all. Who said we had to understand it all? It's a matter of saying, not my will. And every individual that walks through the gates of glory is going to walk through the gates of glory with the limp of a broken will. That's right. And some of my will is hard to break. But I have to break it. And some people, they can break it easy. They just <laughs> I break hard. This is pitiful. I'm, I, I have more fights with the guy that grows between these two elbows than anybody I've met. Yeah. He is the most difficult of all people. It makes it easy for me to be tolerant, patient, and kind, considerate of others. Because it's hard for me to break my will. But I have to do it. What John is doing here with Tegeus, he's saying now, Beloved, 
Don't imitate that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Then he dropped the subject of diatrophies. In fact, that verse was transitional because he starts out in verse 12. Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and you know that our record is true. And then he just dropped the subject. Don't start talking about writing. And I don't think... Um, uh, I... Uh, We'll write the things I was thinking about writing to you with pen and ink, but I'll see you shortly here. Y'all take care now, and we, we'll see you later. That's but do you notice what he did? He said, Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence, I like me, who do you like? So, brother, I'll ask not my problem. When you're in a, a large group picture, who do you look for first? Your, your growling stomach will get more attention than the starving millions in China. We've got our own little universe. And if we're not careful, we can get right in the middle of it. But he, he allowed this thing to become elongated. He loved the preeminence. He wanted it. Center stage. All the light right on him. And uh, then, out of that heart, there came an attitude, nobody will tell me what to do. And I don't imagine it's just the, the missionaries that came down through there that he refused to receive. I imagine it's about everything else. Because usually, an attitude begets deeds. And I've lived long enough to recognize that when a fellow's got an anti-attitude, he just anti-everything, you know, one way or another. That is, unless it was the smoke that went up his stack. And he even wants to change the song service. You know, I mean, name and practice and everything else. He wants it to be original. And it's amazing where guys like that get their originality. Because somebody influences them. Now he's telling Gaius, don't be influenced by diatrophies. Don't take up his attitudes. Don't take up his practices. Be careful who influences you, Gaius. You've got a lot on the ball. If you really want a hero to look at in your area down there, look at Demetrius. He's got a good report. I'm convinced today that one of the big things that we need to be concerned with is who is influencing us. When we look at the church, we need to ask ourselves, before we sit around and say, we're just a number, I mean, we're on the backside of the tracks, and why is everybody else, I mean, and here I'm, and, some folk got the idea that the only way a church can grow is into mega dimensions. But church has to have an inner growth that's related to the outer growth commensurately. 
You get too big and you got nothing inside you like the balloon. That's all it takes is one little pinprick and you're gone. There's got to be an inner growth that balances the outer growth. And there are those that, that sit around and look with their eyes like pancakes at things that go on in the religious world and that influences them. And they say, well, we, we know we don't want to change our, ma our message, so maybe we better change our methods. You don't get apostolics using Methodist approaches. You start methods, whether they're Methodist methods or uh, charismatic methods, you, when you get a hold of methods, you're getting a hold of some of the message as well. And it's not always possible to pick up a method and use it without contaminating part of your message. And the hunger and the yearning sometimes is not really for what the soul is needing, but to be like something. I'm telling you that there, there must come a time early in your life where you determine who's going to influence you. If it's the fellow that's flitting around like the grasshopper, grabbing everything in sight, you just mark it down. By winter, he's gone. But if you want to really endure to the end and continue, you've got to be influenced by some people who have endured themselves. One man said to me, and he was a good man, finally, it just appeared to him that I was opposed to growth. Well, really, I'm not. And I, uh, I was amazed that he'd think that. But people can, uh, that's the impression he got that I was opposed to growth. Um, how many people could we put under one roof? 20,000? 30? We've got a tabernacle in Texas that we're trying to, concerned about a balcony in it. But even with a balcony, there will be a limit one day to how many people we can put under one roof. And so when we get it full, is that, that, is that what we're after? Not at all. I mean, that's just a stepping stone to growth. And when we see the church in the right light, We'll recognize that of its growth, there shall be no end. It's just going to keep on growing. Amen. And until he comes back for his church, and that growth... In 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, Paul wrote, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away with these dumb idols, even as you were led. 
Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God call, calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now let me interrupt the reading long enough to point out at the beginning, evidently he hadn't, um, um, he hadn't read um, How to Win Friends and Influence People because he, he kind of approaches it broadside here and he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. To talk to someone about being ignorant of anything is bordering on the danger of uh, uh, alienating the um, relationship right quick. Um, but he pointed out that you and I, he didn't want us to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. Wouldn't it be a pitiful thing if a child were started out in the world reach adulthood and know nothing about the value of coinage of the country in which he's raised. Just couldn't go buy a stick of chewing gum or whatever. You know, just because he wouldn't know how to handle it. Wouldn't know what change and all that. Well, we're, we're being introduced to something here that is very vital to you and me in the church and the last thing we need to do is to be ignorant of it. Because if we are, then we can get cheated, we can get abused, we can get mistreated, we can get, we can lose out. And he went on to point out, you know that you were Gentiles, carried away with these dumb idols even as you were led. The fact is that if yesterday it was possible for me to be so misled, then today it's also possible. And that's what he's pointing out to us. We didn't come into this great revelation, this church, because of our intellectual prowess or our abilities. We're in this body of redeemed, the realm of the redeemed, because God, in His grace and in His mercy, saved us, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Then he went on to point out some of the things that were abuses under the guise of spirituality. And he wanted to clear up ignorance. And I found that, it, although I'm not really the best living evidence of it, that it's much easier to cure ignorance than it is to cover it up. And he went to the heart of the matter. He said, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And he was teaching in the total on the unity of the body, as well as the gifts of the Spirit, because an ignorance of the gifts of the Spirit could ultimately result in division and dispersion of the members of the body. Anything that's good has a, a danger with it to the same degree that it can do good. You don't really have to worry too much about a firecracker if you just get it out of your finger quick enough, it'll do what it's made to do. And a little pop, and that's the end of it. But a nuclear bomb, it's designed to do a little bit more destruction. 
and uh, if you if you um, know how to utilize it I guess you could uh, achieve great things with it in the way of destruction and there are good things that can be destructive if they're misused and ignorance can cause us to misuse something that would be real good if it were used properly and when we misuse it it can be very destructive I love I'm telling you the honest truth I just literally love to watch a big earth moving machine in operation they are doing work on our grounds here a while back and I, I, I'd get captivated I'd watch that bulldozer and I'd watch that old boy handle that blade he'd get a big chunk of dirt and the next thing you know he was moving it over here and, and, and I love bulldozers just can't pass one up hardly just it's beautiful it's an amazing thing but if I tried to clean the carpet in the church with a bulldozer I imagine I'd make pretty much of a mess. I could go all the way down to the foundations, couldn't I? And then beyond that, that blade's amazing. It'll do wonderful, marvelous things and destructive things, just according to where it is. And there's some things that are good for what they're intended, but they're altogether bad if you try to use them some other way. And if we are to continue, we cannot afford the luxury of ignorance concerning spiritual gifts. There are books written about the book. And it's getting more, the writers are getting more prolific every day they're, they're coming across with uh, uh, real um, output and input and uh, insight and hindsight and everything else toward the gifts. And they're getting to be big subjects with some people. They become specialists. And if I understand the 12th chapter, he's talking about different members of the body. And one of them getting out of proportion, or one of them saying, I have no need of you. Either way, it would become monstrosity in its dimensions. If my nose... It's big enough as it is, but if it were as big as the rest of my head, I'd have a problem seeing. It'd block everything, you know. And I'm not against noses. I like noses. There's nothing wrong with noses. But you get it out of proportion, and it doesn't do for the body what it was intended to do without disrupting something else. So a lot of the lesson here is on proportion. And as he began to talk about the diversities of gifts, he didn't list all the gifts in the nine that are mentioned. Do you have peace in your heart? If you do, it will shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. Take it from me. I, I'm, I used to argue with signposts. That's terrible, isn't it? I'm just confessing that's the way it was. But peace came to my heart as a gift. 
of the Spirit. It was shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. That Spirit, one Spirit, as a gift. I've literally got hundreds of gifts of the Spirit. Yes. And sometimes we can take the simple and make it complex. And get it so complicated that it's completely out of reach. And you can teach the gifts of the Spirit in such a way that only a few, you and maybe another somewhere, have access to these things. And in doing it, you're teaching against it as much as if you were a Camelite saying that there's no gifts of the Spirit. If the gifts of the Spirit are only for the, the initiated or the quote, gifted, unquote, then what about the rest of us? There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom. We have literally sat together in heavenly places in this convention. And we have heard innumerable words of wisdom. A word of wisdom is an expression of wisdom. It could actually consist of a message of wisdom. This is one of the gifts. But to say that an expression is wisdom itself is to belabor a point because to think that a person who utters a word of wisdom has it resident within him is to fix it to where there'd only be some that would be used of God to speak a word of wisdom and we'd all have to gather around that particular person. There's no telling how many times, no way it could be recorded, how many times on Wednesday evening in a Bible study that you sat down in the church and your pastors opened up the book and began to teach you and out of a, an expression of his innermost being the God of heaven drew after what he had placed in drew out an expression of wisdom that, were, that was the means of keeping you from faltering and falling the next day. But there are those that would so doctor it up complicated that it has to be presented in a certain frame where one jumps up and says uh, hear ye a word of wisdom a word of wisdom is a word of wisdom without a title I mean you got a Pekingese puppy you're hanging a sign on him this is a giraffe doesn't lengthen his neck a half inch And a word of wisdom doesn't have to have a sign on it. This is a word of wisdom. It's just a word of wisdom. 
And if you're wise, you can receive a word of wisdom. Well, I wouldn't try to pastor a church five minutes without the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And there is a danger of us thinking that, uh, well, like I had a fellow some 30 years ago, um, whom I was pastoring, he wanted to go to a tent meeting where a healing evangelist was, Trinitarian, and uh, named Oral. That was back before he got in the Methodist church and then got out and then got wherever he is. But way back there, a fellow came into my assembly and he had uh, children that were ill and uh, they had congenital problems from birth and um, he wanted to go there. I said, let's pray for the children here. He said, oh, Brother Holly, you're a fine man and all that. I love you and all that. But he said, you don't have the gift. So I, I explained to him how the book read on that and whatever. Well, he, he did go on anyway in a pickup truck, would you believe, using part of his vacation to go. And uh, when he got there, of course, he was somewhat disillusioned. They put him in a area there with a lot of other folk that were in the condition that his children were and he came back and uh, unchanged and uh, he was disillusioned but he had, he had been influenced by the wrong people before he came along with us that he had uh, to get to a particular person who had a particular gift or resident in and they couldn't nobody else had it and because I hadn't announced that I had it he felt like it, he had to go there well wisdom's justified of her children and it's, imp it's imperative that we as a people, if we're to continue, we need to understand the principle that these gifts are in the church. It goes on to say, to another, and someone would make an issue of that, say to another, that means to a specific person. Well, of course, I mean, Nineteen people talking at one time is hard to understand. But God uses first this vessel, then that. And the individual that's, that's submitted to him can be used of him. But not one gift is put in the church to govern the church. And not one gift is put in there for some individual to control the life of some other individual in the church. <laughs> I, I wish my time. I should have left one of these things at home and just stayed with this one because I'm right in the middle of it. And I, I'm convinced that um, each of us we have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And faith, no faith, no salvation. And He says to another, faith. He said, but it's a different kind of faith. Who said? But don't complicate the matter. Faith is faith. And faith has a way of surging through, and I understand that. I understand faith being at a peak. I understand a whole lot of things that I can't explain about faith. But to complicate it and to make faith some super duper faith above others' faith 
is to rob others of the benefits that they can have through faith. It's a gift of God. It comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. Go right on down the line of all the gifts of the Spirit. Everything that's there works in much in the very same way because it's diversities of gifts, but it's the same Spirit. And we don't put on in the church a road show to display just because that is a means of attraction and it is but we don't use that as a means of an attra attraction in the sense that we program it and we're going to have the gifts in operation so that we're going to say now this is a gift of whatever I, th I, told, I told a fellow one time, he's very concerned about my, he felt like I didn't quite believe God and uh, on this subject. I said, man, I've got the spirit of discernment. And every now and then I can pick up on spirits that are bad. What I was stressing is this. Misuse of the gifts of the Spirit will ultimately, at one time, it, it, it'll, it'll create a real big to-do. But ultimately, it'll bring things to a, a sad standstill. It won't continue. And in order to continue, we've got to have the proper use of the gifts. We've got to recognize the role of the gifts. If, if you just sat down and ate a 12-ounce steak, and I came along with a McDonald hamburger and said, here, uh, have a hamburger, it's a gift, you wouldn't really need it. Maybe three hours later, four, five, somewhere. But uh, burp, you wouldn't need it. And just to, just to display and say this is a gift to you, gifts come when they're needed. When you need healing, do you know I'm standing here talking to you and that eight, nine years ago, uh, I had 36 treatments of cobalt. My voice box, I'd had surgery three times on the right vocal cord. I was informed by surgeons that there's no way you're going to be able to speak clearly. You've got to, if, it, if it comes back, if you get any part of voice back, it's going to have to be spoken when it rattles the rest of your life. And the saints of God prayed. <laughs> Hallelujah. I can sing. For years I'd try to go up and my voice would go down. That's a discomforting experience. But I can sing, especially in the shower, when nobody else is listening. God, in His grace and goodness, gave me a gift of healing. I needed it bad. And I'm grateful. Oh, I'm grateful. I told my wife at that time, I said, I'd as soon die if I can't preach 
What is there to live for? I told the doctor, I said, that, I said, you, 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 you got to be wrong. I said, God called me to preach. And you can't preach without a horse box. I mean, you know, you got to have equipment. And God in His grace gave me a gift. Say, who did you get to, Brother Holly? Who was it that ought to my... I don't know. Saints of God were praying everywhere. Preachers laying hands on me. Say, who prayed the prayer, the prayer of faith? I don't know. We can get it cluttered if we're not careful. You know, actually, a gift is just—it just requires a giver and a recipient. There are those that want to clutter it up, make it so complicated that it's the esoteric minds of those that just barely reached into that nth degree of spirituality and if you if you live a hundred years you might get to the same height I am but you know what I mean and they that kills faith think well man I'd never be that kind of one in no way it's a simple I mean it's a simple that I can understand and if I can understand with my two cylinders There is a simplicity in Christ. If we're to continue, and we will, you hear what I'm telling you. Yeah, we're going to continue. Amen. <laughs> we're going to continue because, number one, we're not going to get that self-sufficient attitude Diotrephes had. We're going to watch who influences us. We're not going to say, now there's a big thing going there, and we better warm our hands at that fire. We're going, to, we're going to turn from everything but the truth. We're going to follow the truth. We're not going to be ignorant concerning the gifts of God. If we're ignorant, we can be duped. And shocking as it may be, there are those that are willing to dupe the dupable. We're going to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Hallelujah. Oh, let's stand and worship. Hallelujah.